Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Almighty Podcast. This is Adam from Back Patio Network, and as always, I'm joined by... Mike Atkins from NerdsOnEarth.com. And this week, we have got four more chapters of Vigilantes. Uh, we're bringing you another one, back-to-back. We talked about how this month we're doing a little extra content to make it through this storyline, and uh, we're, we're definitely chugging along, man. We got four awesome chapters this week to talk about. Yeah, I'm glad that you uh, baited me into uh, not having to wait to read because these next four chapters were excellent, as were the previous four. I I think that um, this arc is very strong up to the point uh, that that we reach by the end of these four. And the way that it ends makes me even more excited about the, the subsequent four chapters. Me too. I almost just kept reading. I was like, I want to know what happens right now. <laughs> Me too. We're going to get there. Like, as soon as we hit uh, the record button once to stop the recording tonight, you can go ahead and start reading because we got to talk about it in a week's time anyway. Yeah. And since I picked up the Shonen Jump app, it makes it like a thousand times easier. It's much easier to just walk around the house and read them, you know, on the go. It's awesome. Definitely. Definitely. Well, let's start off. We're reading uh, episodes 75, 76, 77, and 78. So if you're listening to this and you haven't read to that point, please understand uh, that we are a very spoiler heavy podcast as we are literally just going to discuss the contents of those four chapters uh, with some colorful commentary as we go. And episode 75 is called Letter. Yeah, and we start off with a reintroduction of, I guess, how Koichi and Knuckle Duster first met. When we left off last, he had just received a letter from his previous master, Knuckle Duster, through Soga, uh, basically saying, like, when I first met you, I told you I would turn you into a hero, and that was a lie. And it just drops there. So we we are kind of thrown back into the past with this reintroduction. Knuckle Duster is chasing down a bad guy, checking his tongue, looking to see if he's been on trigger. And Koichi stumbles across him and trying to breaks up the fight. And then it's Koichi reading this letter and that letter's text over the top of Koichi through a couple of panels here. Yeah. And before we return to him reading that letter, I wanted to I I think that this is there's a lot of really good development for Knuckle Duster um, in these chapters. and For sure. Especially like contextually for what Koichi is about to read. I think that this particular scene is given to us because it colors um, the, the letter itself and some of the things that Knuckle Duster has left for Koichi to read. So at the end of this, after he breaks up this fight, uh, Knuckle Duster goes to walk off. But Koichi walks up to him and he says, not so fast, sir, your nose is bleeding. Here you go. And he offers him a tissue. And in this panel, Koichi's nose is also bleeding. And it's not just like a little bleeding. They're they're drawing attention to it with drip drip. So like he he got punched by the other guy that Knuckle Duster was fighting as well. And that makes a really a really big impression upon Knuckle Duster, the man that we would later know to be Knuckle Duster, that, you know, Koichi's just meeting here for the first time. So I really like that, that that Knuckle Duster is impressed by the selflessness and the small acts of heroism that Koichi showed upon their first meeting. Yeah, I didn't even recognize it until reading it right now, but he's actually smiling as he walks away from Koichi, like, Mm -hmm. all right, I found a good one. Yeah. So we, we, we had read up to the point where he says, you know, that was a lie. And he, the letter continues. It was just a way to get uh, get your attention or get through to you at the time. I was I deceived you, so I should apologize for that as well. That said, I'm not worried. I have all the confidence in the world that you'll do great. And then he goes on to get to, you know, talking around the definition of a hero before he says, you know, I, I used to be a hero like that, um, a man who specialized in fighting crime. Sometimes he'd fight solo. Sometimes he'd play with a team. He was responsible for an impressive number of, uh, or taken down an impressive number of legal organizations. 
Uh, but he says at the end of the day, he was no more than a particularly efficient cog in the machine meant to uphold societal order. And then we get uh, a couple of pages of overclock at work. Yeah, it's really neat because he's like up on a building and he appears to shoot out like a camera and then maybe a robot and like a security system. And he jumps down off this building and like dashes in. And we're not really sure what he's after or what he's doing here. But when he dashes into this room, someone's standing there and it's a pretty familiar face. It's all for one. And uh, we get this horrific scene of him taking Overclock's power. And in the background, we have this text that is the letter continuing, and it's Knuckle Duster talking about how, like, in his mind, a true hero is someone that can fall into despair and come out of it a good person still. Because for too many people, when they hit hard times, they turn into a monster. Yeah, and I like, I mean, it, at the beginning of this chapter, Knuckle Duster, when, he's, when he stumbles across that guy in the alley, he's got a, a bottle in his hand, presumably it is alcohol, and... I mean, this this seems like a reasonable reaction. Like we joke about what quirks we would or wouldn't have. We never have talked about, at least I don't think we have, what it would be like to have a quirk and then lose it. And that is what we see Knuckle Duster struggling with in these panels is this thing that large in large part defined who he was and his role in society, which is one of the things that he wrapped up in his definition of a hero was taken from him. So now he doesn't know who he is. He doesn't know, you know, how to function, what his role in society, uh, you know, will be going forward. And so it drives him to this place of of drinking alcohol before he meets Koichi. And he finds in Koichi somebody who comes up against misfortune and and hard times and is able to overcome it. And he says, and that's what I call a hero. He says, you you have that goodness within you, Koichi. You're someone who never misses a chance to help others. In fact, I'm one of the people that you saved. He says, the day we met, uh, I said, I'll make you a true hero, but that was a lie. You didn't need me to tell you what you should do. You always had the answer yourself. Uh, You're one of the rare ones, born with that unshakable goodness within, a true hero, my hero, academia. Uh, And then he he is almost like prescient, I guess, at the end of this letter, or, or he wrote this really recently. I couldn't quite figure this out because he says, you're in a bit of serious trouble right now. Maybe he wrote this and gave, gave the letter to Sogan was like, next time, that Koichi's in, you know, real hot water, then give this to him? Is that what you think? This That's kind of what I assumed. Yeah, like Soga had this letter, like, an in case of, you know. Yeah, and, and so, but Knuckle Duster continues, he says, I'm not worried at all. You know, when faced with an overwhelming cat- uh, catastrophe, there's zero shame in running away at top speed, but if someone's waiting for you to save them, you know you have to fly in there and get it done. The answer is so obvious that it doesn't even, qual- uh, it doesn't even qualify as a decision to be made. Yeah, he says, whatever I might say to you, I know you'll do what you have to and save the people who need saving. Like, he knew that Koichi had what it take to be a hero from the start. And I love that he was able to, like, spot that in Koichi. You know, he's probably, I would assume that as Overclock, he probably had trained plenty of heroes, right? Like, he might have worked with an agency or worked or had his own agency that had other heroes he worked with and probably trained up. So he might just have that talent of spotting them. Uh, and he, he has this one last little message. He says, P.S., just learn how to land properly when you fall. <laughs> Perfect way to end that little letter. And he did. I mean, because one of the last things that we remarked on last time we saw Koichi was that he did manage, indeed, to uh, land upon a pile of garbage, just like Knuckle Duster taught him to. Right. And so the first thing Koichi has to know is like, well, okay, well, where's Master at now? Like, where is Knuckle Duster? And Soga doesn't know, and it doesn't seem like Rapt or their other friend know either. Uh, but Soga says there's more pressing issues that matter. He's like, look, there is an issue, uh, and it is the girl. that The girl's got these parasites inside of her that control people, and we're kind of in a bind because 
if you let the heroes handle it, then they're going to keep her from busting up the city and destroying things, but they're going to let these bees get away. They'll infect someone else, and we'll be right back at square one with another individual. And to get rid of the bees, it's going to take breaking the law, and the police aren't going to do it, and if we do it, it's a crime. So we're kind of in between a rock and a hard place. And he just asks Koichi, you know, will you do it or not? Are you going to help? Yeah, and Koichi seems to him and haw a little bit, um, but when he finally starts to clarify his answer, he says this, he says, there's only one way forward. It doesn't even qualify as a decision, which is a deliberate echo of what he had just read in Knuckle Duster's letter, um, which which gives Soga a little bit of a laugh, um, which makes uh, Rapt laugh at Soga. And so then Soga makes the Bakugo sound, the TCH. <laughs> Uh, and, yeah, yeah, and that's kind of the end of this episode, and we kind of uh, buzzed right over this. Oh, man, I'm ashamed of myself. Um, but <laughs> so Soga does take a little bit of time to discuss this Queen Bee quirk in a little bit more detail, um, which indicates to me, I think that uh, I think it's reasonable to assume that Knuckle Duster kind of caught him up on it because Knuckle Duster had been hot on the tail of of his daughter when she had it. Uh, and so probably right. had some familiarity with it that he passed along to Soga. And we had talked about it briefly. We kind of went back and forth on what, how we thought that quirk might work in our last episode. And Tomac jumped in on the Discord and he pointed this out. And I really, I really thought this was pretty sharp. He said, I think that the parasite basically adjusts to its hosts, playing to their needs and wants, twisting their desires while going about its business. Uh, and that makes a whole a lot of sense, especially um, when we see how it is that B-pop uh, continues to g- slip into this like performance mode, which is one of the things that she had just picked up as a pursuit and a passion right before she became infested. So I thought that that was a pretty sharp uh, recognition on Tomac's part, and I was grateful that he shared that and gave us a little bit more clarity on how this crazy quirk works. Yeah, for sure. Thanks a lot. Uh, we definitely needed it. <laughs> Did you notice that uh, there's one panel where they're showing like the extraction of a queen bee and it's drawn totally differently? Like it looks very significantly different than the other like bees with the vials. Yeah, and it did like the one that came out of uh, Tamao's face looked it didn't have a big vial on the butt. Yeah, it was like a giant wriggling mass thing. Right, and it almost looks like it's got like a camcorder or something like attached to the base of it. It's weird looking, but that is essentially uh, chapter seventy-five. I got to tell you, Rapt has become one of my like favorite friends to read about. Like he's always in the background in these chapters, and he's a blast. See, I I got annoyed reading Rapt. Really, that's yeah, funny. It was. It's mostly because of his laugh. The way that it's like written out was kind of annoying the to yeah-ha. read over. Yeah. Yeah, and he and he laughs it like that after so many of his lines, and I was just like, okay, I'm over the laugh. I'm over the way that it's written. <laughs> just write ha ha, and I'm like, I mean, I get that it's you know care, you know, get a little bit of character and and quirk, but I don't know. I just I really didn't like reading ya ha ha over and over and over again on these chapters. That makes sense. I feel like Rapt is the kind of friend you like to read about, but would hate to have. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Now, I, I will say that Soga super grows on me a lot over the course of these four chapters. Yeah, and it's really interesting. You and I kind of had a quick brief conversation about this before we started recording. Soga has changed so much from the first time we met him till now. Like, I mean, he's just gone through so many things and he's not a main character. So we don't really know a lot of the driving factors behind his his decisions. You know, we know that Knuckle Duster saved him at one point in time from who would be Hero Killer Stain. But like 
his day-to-day life we know nothing about so it's and we don't know a lot about his past either so it's it's interesting to kind of see him becoming more of this like main support structure for koichi in this time of need when we really don't know anything about him and neither does koichi yeah he seems to bear some sort of feeling of indebtedness to knuckle duster um and has very much especially over the course of the next two chapters uh, maybe even all three uh, that remain for us to talk about today has stepped into the role or that that void that Knuckle Duster left to the point where like Koichi follows his commands like Soga yeah. has become master um, and he's it, even dressing like him. He, he absolutely is. And it, I like he pulls it off. I think he looks great dressed up like Knuckle Duster. Oh, totally. Yeah. The front cover of 76, which is named Training Starts Now, is uh, Soga standing in front of the to his two friends in Koichi. And he's wearing like the duster that Knuckle Duster wears and the black shirt with the, the khakis on almost. It always weirds me out, too, when I see like pictures of Soga colored in because his hair is like turquoise. And when I read it, I just see him with red hair. I do, too. Uh, didn't we have the same exact feeling about um, Shirakumo, the loud cloud guy? I think that yeah, we had both thought that his hair was a reddish color too. Just I don't know why we default to red, <laughs> but we do. I don't know either. I feel like at least with Soga, he kind of looks like uh, Kaminari, so or Kirishima. Kirishima. He kind of looks like Kirishima. Yeah. yeah so that, there's an excuse. I like that. That's my excuse. <laughs> Fair uh, enough. But the seventy six is awesome. It's like a montage chapter kind yes. of because they show up at Knuckle Duster's old training warehouse. It looks like like it's just this big warehouse full of like training materials and like prep like end of world prep stuff. Like he looks like he's got a bunch of gallons of water and tanks of gasoline and like bed sacks and food and all kinds of stuff that he's ready and prepped for. And I mean, even shotguns, like it's kind of insane. Wrapped grabs a, a handful of them. And so like, don't touch those. They're loaded. And wrapped is immediately pointing them at their uh, friend. I've got his name written down. I keep just calling him like the other friend. Moyu. His name's Moyuru. Yeah. Is it Moyu? Yeah. yeah. They call him that for sure. Uh, anyway, or short anyway. Right. They, walk into this place and now we had commented that in the last in our last episode that rap made the joke that they have this secret base and moyu was like nah this is just my parents place so the first thing that rap exclaims when they walk into this building is ha we got us a secret base actually he says it's actually like it's i refuse to read that um but yeah he points a shotgun over at moyu who says don't point that at me which there are a handful of like circular jokes or parallelisms in these chapters the first one i already pointed out Uh the um you know there there's there's not even a decision to be made and this uh don't point that at me comes around here in just a second as well yeah and koichi like stumbles towards the back of the warehouse where he finds a massive map where knuckle duster had basically like mapped out all of the different routes that the vigilantes were taking as i'm going to call them it was knuckle duster's route pops koichi's and on top of that it seems like he was tracking his daughter when she was possessed by the bees because koichi notices that there's a route for someone that could jump high but maybe not quite like pop and it seemed like he was trying to corner this person uh but soga pretty much jumps in and it tells him to drop it like that's old news that's an old case it's been shut and closed you might want to use that strategy to get pop but like don't even worry about that and they start talking about what they're going to do with pop yeah and koichi chimes in and he says nabbing her in midair might be possible though which is it had me thinking about naruto because the thing that happens a lot in that show is somebody will jump up in the air and then another person will levy level an attack at them and they'll exclaim, oh, no, I can't dodge him in midair. Um, so Koichi seems to be aware that mobility for many is uh, limited in the air, um, even though she seems quite nimble in the air. 
he thinks that it's it's probably their best shot because uh, it's not like she's going to land and duke it out. That's not the kind of offensive capability that she has. That that's not to her advantage at all. So they're all kind of sitting around. Like I want to say the fire, even though there's no fire, they're just sitting. It around. It does look like that's they're sitting circle. around a fire. <laughs> there, there needs to be a fire there. It's really throwing me off. Uh, but they're discussing a battle plan, and Sogo says, "Next time she pops up, you've got three big tasks: one, get to the scene before the heroes and cops; two, grab her midair; and three, meet up with us on the ground. After that, leave the first aid to me, and we'll get her to the hospital." So I'm guessing that Knuckle Duster's probably told Soga how to get this queen bee hive out of someone's head. I mean, Knuckle Duster surely doesn't know that Pop Step's been infested. I can't imagine because they don't have contact with him. So he has prepped Soga for this exact instance. And uh, I can't imagine like Pop waking up with Soga over top of her, like, you know, trying to help her out after all of the bad stuff that's happened between them. Right. But the two friends kind of don't want to seem to get it f- involved at first. At least Mo Yu doesn't. But but Rap does because he's a pretty big fan of Pop. She's got a real nice butt, he says. Yeah, I really like th- this exchange is really funny because Mo Yu, he says, uh, huh, we got to get involved. Ain't it a crime to butt in on hero work? So there's the word. But and it's also really funny, too, that his hair goes foof like his it reacts to his emotions so then you get yeah, the like uh, shocked yeah so then you get the real nice butt line from wrapped and then you go back to moyu and he says uh but is one cute butt worth earning a rap sheet and his hair has gone fizzle <laughs> and i thought that was a really <laughs> funny touch that is and this is where soga like proclaims that he's just doing this because it feels like it so don't sweat it and then he starts to put Koichi through some tests and he's yes. basically giving him almost like a like UA intro course test, like having him show off his quirks, what he can do with his quirks. It's pretty neat, really. Yeah, he and he's taking notes like he's 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 taking all these notes on what he perceives to be Koichi's abilities and limitations. And he's going to work that into their plan, or at least that's that's how this is presented. And the, the first test is to just see uh, how fast koichi can actually move and so he says and go and koichi just says right and then there's just this blaze across this warehouse um and it's it's a zoosh sound effect and it's so fast that it leaves wrapped in moyu just completely dumbstruck and then he comes zigzagging back uh, towards them and manages to make like a pinpoint stop between them and these guys are like their minds are blown in fact like moyu's like that acceleration was nuts and rap says plus those right angle turns and the ability to stop uh, stop instantly what are you <laughs> like and now he's so confused <laughs> about how powerful koichi has become and this is a it's a really neat display of koichi's fullest power um for us to see and we we've talked about how koichi seems to level up very consistently um but we haven't seen him go full bore very often and, and this is the fastest we've ever seen him gone shortly we're going to see the shooty go blam upgraded uh and we're also going to see you know like he, he just he's he's putting out he's putting out for this this series of quote-unquote tests for sogan it was super fun to read yeah it was really cool like we get a quick glimpse of his abilities to like jump and stick on walls and his limitations like he can only do two jumps and even then that's pushing it, especially if he's going to climb onto the th- or like the third jump being leading into a, a wall grab, basically, because, you know, he's going to run out of stamina and everything. And uh, we do see the shooty go blam. It's really cool the way that they do it, because Rapt is like tossing up cans and he's hitting the cans really easily, like second nature. I mean, he's just pointing and shooting and uh, they make note of the fact that he's able to knock them down really easily. 
And Soga's like, well, you know, what about your your full power shot? Like, that seems kind of run of the mill. Let's see it, like, all the way, 100%. And we get this flashback of him talking to Popstep about, you know, using his powers to the full extent of his abilities and how she kind of didn't want him to. You know, she, she said that you have to get a hero's license to be able to use something like that. And she's told Koichi it's off limits. And he's like, well, what about just, you know, if I've got to take down like a really big villain or like if I've got to stop a charging bad guy? And, you know, she's like, well, do you think you can actually make those decisions and split seconds like in fine tune the power in the middle of battle? And and he says, well, you know, I, I've got an idea. Let's use the face test. And I love this. It's it's so funny because he's he sets up some cans and he shoots one down really easily and he looks at her and then he shoots one down relatively hard, you know, like kind of medium. And she kind of has this, you're pushing it face is what Koichi calls it. And then he blows one out of the water and she's making this angry face. And he's like, all right, so that's the bad one. This is, this is the limit. You know, if I need to fine tune my shots, I'll just think of your face in the moment. And she gets kind of upset about this, but it's, it's kind of a nice flashback moment where we see some real good relation building between them that I feel like we maybe haven't seen in the past. Did you notice how they introduced this particular flashback as well? Definitely seemed... Oh, it was a building, just yeah. like the other day. It's, it's yeah. just like the, a panoramic shot of top buildings. It does make a little bit more sense, though, because he's kind of staring off into space right before the building transition whereas in the other series it was like just a building like there was no staring off into space it was just building transition i also want to talk too about uh back when he was doing the double jump number one or triple jump whatever this was uh i super like that they canonically explain how he can do this but at the end of this particular montage out of nowhere like at no point during the the wall jump the wall cling uh, training montage does Koichi ever say anything about his breath now it does look like in a couple spots where he does have like puffed out cheeks while he's performing these jumps while he's clinging to right. the wall but then at the end of it it just says this is Soga speaking now he says if running out of breath makes you fall then breathing with the right timing can change everything and I said who said anything about breath Koichi never once says anything about it yeah, you're right. I was holding his breath part of his like quirks limitations. I don't recall that being a thing. So that it felt like that breath comment was out of out of like right field for me. I noticed it here that he was like holding his breath when he was doing his jumps and stuff. But I guess I didn't pick up on the fact that like he had done that in the past. So it does seem weird because he doesn't he doesn't mention it being a limitation, but so good seems to yeah, I mean, he just, maybe Soga is super perceptive and noticed him holding his breath, but if, if it was breath-related, I would think Koichi would be like, you know, I, it, I can't hold my breath any longer or something like that, and he doesn't. He only talks about momentum when he's going vertical. Yeah. That's it. So I felt that that and how did, was kind of strange. If it had some sort of, like, limitation with holding his breath, I feel like he wouldn't have been able to hang upside down from the, uh, the needle whenever yeah. he was with Captain Celebrity. So, right. Because he was up there for quite a while, and it was never brought up. Yeah, strange. Huh. I just wanted to point that yeah. out in passing while we yeah. while we get to the end of this uh, flashback, and he's he's blasting through these cans, and they look like bullets. Uh, his little his little blasts now have been upgraded to the point where they're piercing through these cans, and bl I mean blowing out. It's like a it really does remind me of like a, a bullet, like a rifle bullet. The entry point yeah. is is small and round, but then the exit is kind of exploded out, much larger on the other side. And uh, so th there's this panel. Where, uh, of course, Moyu and Raptor are filming this, and Koichi turns towards Raptor, and this is where we get the "Don't point that thing at us" joke comes back around because now they perceive Koichi's hand as like a loaded gun. In fact, at some point, somebody they didn't do the thing where they put the little 
caricatured face in there, but I assume that this is wrapped. Uh, who says, yikes, dude, that could kill someone. Yeah, yeah. And have you noticed the panel right before that? The wrapped is like, got his uh, knees crossed and he's holding his crotch. Yeah. Like he's worried to get shot. <laughs> yeah. And then he get, he visualizes to um, Pop Step's face glowering severely. And he says, I know that deep down this one's off limits, but now I don't have a choice. And that's the end of this particular chapter of chapter 76. This upgraded shooty-go blam looks pretty cool. Like, it's like a little ring that just slices through anything, it looks like. Did you notice, too, that it gets a new name? Uh, I guess I didn't notice that. It's called the shooty-go wham when he uses it a little bit later on. Is it really? I didn't notice that. No, I didn't pick that up. It That's is. awesome. When it, when it comes back up, I'll, I'll point it out. And that takes us into episode 77, which is called Strategy Meeting. Uh, and this has Soga testing the limits of this new upgraded Shootigo Cublam, which you'll see down there at the bottom left of the page, just as I said. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So he says, I do see that. Uh, Ko- Koichi says that he focuses this power in his hand. He calls it the Shootigo Blam. And then the sound effect is also Cublam. Uh, as he's firing these things off and they look at, they had placed two round bullseye targets and then a third target between it. That was a human silhouette. And as they look at where Koichi was aiming, you see all these like sizzling pockmarks uh, where his shots landed, two of which hit dead center of the bullseyes uh, to the left and right of the human silhouette, but not one of them struck the human silhouette target at all. Yeah, and it's kind of interesting because they pick this up and Soga says, so you can't hit people with your full power shots. Is that it? And Koichi has no idea. He's like, eh, I don't know, I guess, maybe. You know, it's just subconscious that I'm not going to hit folks, I guess. And I mean, he, he they mentioned that, like, they're just going to have to practice shooting people. And it's funny because Rapt is <laughs> saying that as he's pointing at Moyu. Yeah. Uh, and Koichi says, well, there's no time for that. Old habits die hard, especially when they're subconscious. Or maybe that's Soka saying that, because it's not got like a bubble pointed yeah. at Koichi. We don't know, because they didn't do the cool caricature and the thought bubble thing. But I think it's I think it's Soga who's saying no time for that. Old habits die hard. Yeah. Well, because he's, he's, he's kind of wanting Koichi to use the shooty kablam, or shooty go kablam, uh, on pop step like just hit her in the leg you know if you just hit her in the leg with that you know just put a devastating hole in her leg and and she'll be crippled and then you'll be able to you know nab her uh but you know you're not gonna be able to hit her because she's a person so maybe you just need to try using the regular shooty go blam but you can't because they're too slow and they don't have enough momentum behind them the not enough range on them so he says you're gonna have to focus on your mobility and your martial arts you're gonna have to back her into a corner and take her out yeah and um just a quick Interesting tidbit. I've I've read a couple books uh, by uh, a guy who is a combat veteran, just on the psychology of of her, her, like shooting at somebody. And one of the uh-huh. things that he recommended was if your plan is to do that, you need to train in a way that simulates shooting at a person. So one of the things that he recommended was like if you're practicing, you know, for instance, on a range, a military base, or whatever like that, they're they're very rarely going to have you shooting at circular targets they're going to have you shooting at that silhouette so you acclimate uh, to shooting at something with that shape um so that kind of teases out kind of that subconscious and he's he recommended too for people like you know street joes like you and i you know if we're if we're going to carry and we intend to use firearms to defend ourselves in certain situations that that is something that he recommended we do as well don't just shoot at circles shoot at shoot at the the human shaped target for for exactly this to overcome some of those psychological barriers between um between your mind and maybe required act uh, action 
So uh, that 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 book, those books, actually, it was a series of books that he wrote came to mind as as we were seeing Koichi struggle with that very thing. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I can definitely see how that would uh, be a thing that's real. Uh, the next couple pages we get here are just these awesome training montages of like him basically training with Moyu and or Moyu and uh, Wrapped. He's like trying to evade them, hitting him with uh, bats and cast iron skillets and stuff. And then they're eating ramen together and hanging out. And he's trying to pull them up a wall, like sliding up a wall. He's doing like side vertical uh, sit ups on the wall and stuff. Like it's it's pretty cool. It reminded me of like a Dragon Ball Z montage, like training montage. You know, I had uh, like Eye of the Tiger playing while I was reading these couple of pages. I mean, there's not really much reading to be done, but it's it's super no. like montagey, a hundred percent. As yeah. we see Koichi kind of testing his his abilities in different ways, hanging from the ceiling by his hands, and uh, there's also some pretty silly scenes where like Rapt keeps. Uh, creeping up on him in his sleep and like he's laying all on top of Koichi <laughs> like at one point he's laying like basically butt to face like on top of Koichi in a, in a couple pages time uh yeah so. it's it's like sleeping in, like with a dog in the bed or something yeah. you know I don't know why those little panels uh made me laugh like they did but the, uh, they sure enough did that raps just like all over Koichi when they're sleeping this is a uh, so I I typically will listen to like a My Hero Academia play track or playlist or something when I read these and the training music came on for this for me and I was like ah it's perfect we get a scene here where Moyu show or Moyu shows up with uh, some food and they're going over just kind of like how the town looks what the plan's gonna be what they're what what they are going to do whenever whatever happens next happens uh you know I mean it seems like they've kind of or Soga's got wrapped and Moyu out just kind of surveying the town figuring out like what buildings are they actually restoring from the last time that they were crashed from pop's attack uh what streets are they working on and, and soga spending time like watching these attack videos trying to figure out strategies something they can do to take down pop and uh, i think it's really getting to them like you can tell that they've been training for a couple of days maybe up to a week or two now it seems like and they've been doing nothing but pouring time into what they're going to do to save pop and they realize that like there's something going on with her where Soga thinks that maybe she can't tell right from wrong, but from what they can tell, they think she's suffering. And this makes Koichi want to act more suddenly. He's like, all right, we got to get on this. Like we've got to save her quick. Yeah. And then he says, I'll catch pop and have a good talk with her. She'll listen to yeah. reason for sure. <laughs> and this seems like naivety uh, to the, the three guys, they're like, dude, you're the guy who got all down on the dumps because she stuck her tongue out at you and gave you the cold shoulder. So why this sudden boost of confidence that a conversation is going to fix anything? And he says, well, I've been doing some thinking. And the thing is, she's always had this side to her. Sometimes she'd get mad and I wouldn't know why, but spending time with her seemed to help. So he says, I just know that being with her will somehow fix this. And they are still giving him a hard time, but Koichi seems sold on on this truth. They're like, she literally left because you showed up, man. And he says, that's why I've got to hunt her down, tie her up, and do whatever it takes. And thank God that the guys gave him a hard time about that phrasing, because it is quite poor phrasing. Yeah, and Moyu says, now you're sounding like a creepy stalker. Uh, I am curious, whenever you read the top left-hand panel, it says, uh, dude, you're the guy who got yada, yada, yada. Did you read it the way Koichi says, I am the so-and-so-and-so-and-so? No, but that is pretty funny. That's, that's how I read it. Like, dude, you're the guy who got all down in the dumps because she blah, da, 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 da. Like, it was just kind of one of those funny moments. We haven't had a Koichi saying, I am so-and-so the crawler in a while, so. We had it last episode when he, sh when he first Did showed we? up on the scene. I'm the guy that won't give up on you or whatever that phrase was when oh, he first that's right. approached B-pop. 
It's been three chapters. That's a while. <laughs> <laughs> well, Soga tells them that uh, he's going to have this strategy together by morning so everybody can get some rest. And everybody seems to be doing that, except uh, Moyu suggests that, you know what, Soga, you need some rest, too. If it's if this is just a matter of finding decent videos, even I can do that. And uh, this is where we get the panel <laughs> where uh, Soga is st- straight up, or not Soga, this is Rap sleeping straight up on top of Koichi with his like tail halfway curled around his neck, pretty much. And uh, there's this really great scene I really like where Soga's kind of sleeping on a couch behind where Moyu is searching the internet for uh, better B-pop videos where they can study their study their enemy. It's very Sun Tzu of Soga, you know, know your enemy. And uh, Moyu says, maybe it's tacky to say at a time like this, but helping people is kind of fun. And Soga thinks the ellipses, which is a very manga thing to do, um, where I, I think that's not so much a pause intended here so much as it is consideration and he says you know this ain't playtime take it seriously and rolls back over uh you know kind of somewhat aggressively or dismissively but i think that what moyu said wasn't just true for moyu i think that soga feels the same just doesn't want to say anything similar to that i think he wants to maintain that like you know badass look to himself while kind of being a softy on the inside maybe yeah i think that they're you know these three are definitely playing for for the opposite team as they were when we initially met them. I mean, the first like two or possibly three encounters that they had with Koichi, they were trying to beat him up, and now they're yeah, working. I feel like they were for trying him. to rape Pop at one point. Yeah, so. the first one. Yeah, they. Yeah, because I remember being like, "Good lord!" They weren't even being subtle about it. No, no, there yeah. was no subtlety at all. It was yeah. So, but now they're they're participating in strengthening Koichi and honing some of his own skills and getting him ready for for this big showdown that's going to take place and uh they've they're seeing that there's there's good in that you know all three of them have turned over a leaf but i think moyu and rapt have turned over this leaf primarily because soga has like soga is the the head of that particular snake um and so as soga does moyu and rapt are going to do and so it's but it is kind of neat i mean we talked about why we think Soga would have made the turn that he did uh, because being saved by Knuckle Duster from from Stendhal. And now we see these other two guys buy into a hook, line and sinker. They don't question Soga's turn. They don't question the fact that he's kind of switched aisles, if that's what you want to understand it as. They're they're just going along with it. They're with Soga. Soga, for the for the time being, is with Koichi via Knuckle Duster. And uh, so I think that it's really cool to see those guys go the ways that they have. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. This uh this next set of panels is really disturbing. It's pop in some I don't even know if it's if it's like Rock Rock Nomura's place or if it's just a hotel that she's staying in or something. It doesn't look like the, the her mom's house that we've seen her in or any of the other places she stayed at. Uh but she's like I mean just absolutely messed up. She's she's got these bees all around her and she appears to be nude and like covering herself in a blanket and she's bleeding everywhere and she's talking about like love and hate and playing for keeps and joy and suffering and she says just you wait Koichi by the time we're done you'll never ever forget about me and she's crying and and got this like sick smile on her face. This is these panels reminded me of something from The Crow. I don't know if you've ever read The Crow or not. Yeah. James O'Barr, I, I uh, have that graphic novel somewhere. I don't own many, but that's one that I have. Yeah, it's, it's very reminiscent of The Crow. I thought that it was interesting that she said love more often than she said hate uh, in these panels. Almost like love, 
love is that more frequent or more powerful possible uh, possibly emotion that she's experiencing right now, even though they're very they're very much as this conflicting of emotions within her or motivations within her. Both of those things could also be or could also be true simultaneously. Um, and we see again kind of a little bit of validating evidence for Tomac's clarification where she says, you'll never forget about me, which may, that was part of what she was worried about when Koichi started talking about retiring from the vigilantes and finding a new job and possibly leaving her for Mikado. You know, all those emotions were kind of like Koichi detaching himself and distancing himself, separating himself, leaving her behind. And so that, that kind of is this behind the scenes motivation for where she's at. And as Tomak described, it makes a lot of sense that this Queen Bee thing is is cranking that up to 11 and bringing it to the front, but with a dark twist. And and that seems to be what's propelling her in the directions that she's going. Yeah, because she's not wrong. I mean, if this, if this Queen Bee is trying to convince her, like, hey, do these things, Koichi will definitely never forget you for this. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's, it is dark. Uh, but we transition into a scene where we are back at Naruhata and there's like this little police tent set up and all these heroes are surrounding it. And there's a police officer here explaining that uh, they're gathering all of these heroes and they're putting them in patrolling shifts to basically try to keep out an eye for Pop. Uh, they know that there is going to be another attack. They don't know when, but they're just trying to take precautions against the villain Pop Step. It's it's. I can't believe they've already villainized her. You know, it's like she didn't. She's not a repeat offender or anything, and that was kind of brought up between uh, Sukauchi and uh, Mikado. They're handing out some of these notes that they have been uh, given to give them a little bit of information about the sectors that they've been assigned, uh, basically like shift schedules and routes uh, that they're going to be taking up. And we're introduced to this, gosh, this crazy hero named Compass Kid. And I think you had mentioned him last week about uh, when we were talking about our quirks that we wouldn't take and maybe not taking his. Yeah, one of the guys says that they might actually have taken Compass Kid's quirk. Oh, is that what it was? Okay. Yeah. Well, he is teaming up with none other than Rock Nomura, so we know things are going to go bad for him. You kind of feel bad for him, too, because, like, right out of the gate, he's talking about how, like, he's kind of one of these, like, family dads, it seems like. He's talking about his wife, and he says, I tell you, my old lady says, she says the darndest things. That's how you're using your day off? Turn down that hero gig and take the kids somewhere. What good are you really? Just one of the rank and file? It's not like it even pays well. She just doesn't get it, he says. So she, he's given us this side of him that's like his family man. And like, you know, you, you feel bad for him because you know Rock's going to do something horrible. Like, no way this guy survives, right? I don't know, but I will say this. I stink and love the Compass Kid. And Do you really? Yes. Let me tell you why. Okay, number one, he definitely has um, some very noble opinions about heroism and why one should participate in it but if you go to the the first panel that he's in he is living this childhood dream to its fullest man he's in a costume (laughs) that is clearly too small for him because it was made for him back maybe when he first got his hero license but he's clearly either fallen out of practice with it it, you know hasn't put it on in a while or he's gone all dad bod in the process uh, because as you said we we find out that he's got two kids. So not only does he continue to call himself the compass kid in the middle of all this, which I thought was hilarious. Um, he's in this too small costume, but he doesn't care. He just wants to, he just wants to be helpful. And I love this guy already. <laughs> I have such high <laughs> hopes for him. I think that you're right, that it's very ominous that he would get paired with who we know to be six, 
but I he he won my heart like literally with just the visual on the first page. But then as he continued to talk about why it is that he would even go out on patrol, uh, you know, he says the peace of mind we can give to the people of this town is well worth it in my book. He does. This would be a guy who Stain wouldn't target. That's that's what I think. Stain would be like, you know what, this compass kid guy. I'm for him. I'm fine with that guy. He he seems to have a good head on his shoulders about um, the the motivations behind being a hero. So I I really like him. I maybe he's a joke character, but I I sincerely like the Compass Kid. And after hearing his name last week when we were talking about the what quirk would you have and not have, you know, I thought uh, Compass Kid never heard of him. That'll be a silly one off character. But panel number one, and I was like, I love Compass Kid. <laughs> I love this guy. <laughs> I feel like he's supposed to be that character. I mean, right out of the gate, they're they're like pitching that softball of like, here's this guy. He's a family man. He loves his wife and kids. He wants to be a hero. He's with a villain. You know, yeah. like it's it's just set up to be that kind of way. But I mean, I, I can see Hero Killer Stain being like, all right, I'll let you live, kid, but you got to change your costume. That's not okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. Ditch the cape. He has a very like Incredibles look to him. Like he came straight out of that movie. He reminds me of Mr. Incredible, like when he first kind of gets back into heroing with his bellies hanging out and everything. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but as he's as he's walking with Six, uh, they're talking about like anything could happen at any moment. And uh, Six says, uh, this patrol isn't just about general crime prevention. We're out here as a precaution against a villain who's bound to show up. In fact, today could be bound. the day she makes an explosive appearance. Yeah, pound. Gosh. He's just bound. I can't That's believe you didn't ridiculous. pick up on this. I did. I, I saw it, but I was going to ignore it for you. <laughs> yep, bound, which uh, you know is a, a play on words when it comes to Pop Step's primary quirk, and then he goes and makes the more explicit one, makes an explosive appearance, and that is the end of chapter seventy-seven, which takes us into chapter seventy-eight, which is called Inferno, and has a really cool cover page where I like this cover page. Yeah, yeah, you have like B Pop, who is kind of back to back with uh, the regular Pop Step version of herself, uh, as they're they're said as. Um, kind of the two two sides of the same coin, which I think is again a little bit of validity to the way that Tomac kind of clarified um, the 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 way that Queen Bee might might work. I really like that visual; it's very neat. I think I just realized one of the the biggest differences between uh, B Pop and Pop Step is the mask. I didn't quite pick up on that uh, the last time we said under record, but like seeing the two of them back to back like this, I can tell that, you know, she's the uh, B pop's not wearing a mask at all. And it totally redefines her face almost. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And it gives it a way cool look. Uh, but we get this opening scene. It's a flashback to pop as a kid and she's watching a TV show and it's probably, it appears to be some sort of like drama. Uh, but she asks her mom like, Hey, you know, how, how do you get on to TV? Like who are these people and how did they get there? And the mom says, you know, well, you can be, uh, an actor or you can be like a performer. You can be a hero. There's plenty of ways to get onto TV. And, uh, pop says, well, which one's easier to do? And she says, well, I wouldn't say that either option is that easy, so why not try what you like and see how it goes? And so we kind of get this, so you get this uh, origin story of Pop Step uh, saying she wants to sing and dance. And so this is how she kind of combines the two. She becomes a performing hero, I think. Yeah, I really like, like her mom is talking as uh, Kazuo, young Kazuo, is kind of imagining the two options that her mom has presented. Her mom says, you could be a hero who helps people when they're in trouble or a performer who sings, uh, dances, and makes people happy. And Kazuo, 
just kind of crams those two ideas together and does both. And I really like that. You know, it's a, she's like, she's basically like, mom presented me with a false dichotomy. I can do both of these things. Um, and so that's what she does. I really like the way that this, this flashback ends too, because the last panel has these like burn marks on it almost. Like it kind of looks like it's like fading away near the bottom or something. But when you turn the page, it's pop up in the air and she's releasing all these bees. So in my mind, like it kind of translates to me as almost as if pop may be stuck in this memory. And that's the bees like burning that memory away. And like, we're seeing the bees take over basically. And like, I can see maybe queen bee has pops, actual self stored in this like past self this past memory keeping her appeased there you know yeah and i can't believe i hadn't had this thought before especially last time we saw b pop but um you know that there's a red band trailer for mortal Kombat that dropped like a couple weeks ago that is dope if you haven't seen it look it up get hype get psyched it's gonna be awesome um God, I hope I'm not wrong because I am super excited about this new Mortal Kombat movie. But anyway, it got me thinking kind of about the Mortal Kombat franchise. And I was reminded that there's a character named uh, Devorah who is basically Queen Bee. I mean, it's this. Really? She's a. Yeah, she's like this. She's a species that has like a colony of insects that form into a human body, which isn't exactly what's going on here, but it's often depicted similarly. Like she kind of can, can dispatch these swarms of bees or bugs from her body. And she's very insectile, even though she's a uh, humanoid in shape and appearance. Um, so I was like, yeah, I don't know how I missed the Devorah connection, but there you go. Huh? I, yeah, that's interesting. Bee pop now is leaping from this building. She says, let's give it another go today. All that singing and dancing and breaking and burning. And there it is. There it is. Boom. Do you see it? The the little music note? Yes. We finally get finally. B-Step's music note. <laughs> when she's actually singing, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty great. Uh, so we catch that back up with, with the Compass Kid, who is uh, explaining his quirk. Uh, he oh, says, like, a spinning compass of justice. Quirk. It's a Do catchphrase. What? I said he's not even explaining his quirk. It's just a catchphrase. It's yeah, so that's silly. true. <laughs> compass Kid is ridiculous. I love him. He's the best. <laughs> compass Kid for life. Uh, which is exactly... That should be his motto since he's a grown man with like Compass two kids kid for life <laughs> who still recall who still calls himself Compass Kid. Um, That's so he funny. Says, Compass Kid is never lost. <laughs> he's like, yeah, I suppose that'd be my catchphrase. But people keep saying things like, "Should a compass really be spinning around like crazy?" And your whole life's off course already. They say. <laughs> Your Which, whole life's off course. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Oh, that's, a, that's such a hard burn, and he's so happy with it. He's like, okay. <laughs> I love this guy. New, he's uh, not new favorite character, but he's he's in top five for me. Like very quickly. I hope he doesn't die. The fact that I like him means he's definitely gonna die, right? Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, he, he's telling Rock. He says, "I guess I have done a bit of aimless wandering in my time, but now I finally got a day job at a real company, one that puts food on the table." <laughs> This he's just trying to get by, man. Yeah. And uh, have a little a fun on the side. Yeah. And uh, Rock is just playing along. I mean, he's just chumming it up with this guy like hey, they're best friends. And uh, the Compass Kid's explaining. He says, but just once before I hang up the cape for good, I'm hoping my kids will get to see their old dad looking cool. And then right as he says that, like the buildings behind him explode. And I think he puckers a little bit. Yeah. And this is one of my favorite panels of these four chapters is you just see him backlit by this explosion and his eyes are enormous. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's just funny. It's perfect comedic timing. And so all these explosions are going off around the buildings. The bees are using their little uh, interference devices to hijack all the nearby speakers and disable communications. 
And B-Pop's like, did I keep you folks waiting? Well, I'm back. And Pop Step's second live show, it's interesting that she continues to refer to herself as Pop Step. Um, she says, it's about to begin. And she's just providing her own pyrotechnics to her own awesome stage show. And Compass Kid is like, she's here. And he immediately is on the phone trying to tell HQ where this person or where B-Pop is. And then he's like, well, we'd better help these fine people evacuate until backup arrives. And he's, you know, and he's like, off we go, Rock. <laughs> I mean, he's just gung-ho wanting he to is. be a good guy. And I, I adore him. Have I said that yet? Compass Kid is great. Compass Kid. We're going to get you a sticker. Compass Kid is great. <laughs> I mean, if I ever saw a shirt for sale that had that symbol on it, I will buy it. And then the first person who ever, like, knew what it was we might be best friends automatically. It'd be like uh, that scene from Step Brothers where we're like, did we just become best friends? Yup. If somebody <laughs> saw me in a Compass Kid shirt and was like, dude, Compass Kid? Be like, hell yeah, Compass Kid. That, that's so funny. <laughs> Compass Kid, he, he almost looks like Fat Gum, like a dad bod version of Fat Gum. <laughs> oh, man. So all, all these heroes are, are trying to charge onto the scene, but Pop, uh, Pop sees them coming and she says, you heroes must be today's special guests. Our first song is an oldie but a goodie. It's the Murrocane Department Theme Inferno, which is the the song that I think uh, she sang last time that you she said. She sang it last familiar. time. She sang it last time. And it, it starts off the same way. It goes bomb, 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 bomb. And I figured out what that song was. It's a ZZ Top song called Boom Boom, appropriately enough. So if you oh, really? Okay. Yeah. If you don't know what it was that I was referencing last week, uh, then just type in ZZ Top Boom Boom and it'll pull up. I think a guy named John Lee. Um, was maybe a blues guitarist that was also uh, in on that song. And it's very recognizable. If you've heard it once, it's it'll stick in your brain. So prepared for that ear candy um, or that earworm. Maybe that's the, well, it's both. It's a good song and it's, it's, it's catchy. It's going to stick with you for a while. I'll have to check that one out for sure. Uh, but we get another like quick couple of shots here of all the people that are sort of like the, I guess you could say like the, the social groups surrounding Pop and Koichi. We see the one of the the bald uh, Hada brother, the that the more recently balding Hada brother. I guess we kind of mentioned that a little bit a couple weeks ago. Uh, and then we've got some of the girls from the Naru Fest and the X Men. Uh, and then the the what would you call them? I don't want to call them the monsters. They're not monsters. It's just the the Hada brother that turned into the grasshopper and then the freaky. I say freaky. He's like the octopus the thing. man. The yeah. squid man. Yeah, I don't want to say freaky. It's mean. I mean, it's just his quirk. You can't help it. But uh, and they're talking about how like there are all of these heroes that are going on site and there's really nothing that they can do. I mean, the X-Men are asking like, you know, well, anything we can do. And there's not much. That's not a place that civilians should be, but not ordinary civilians, at least. And we see Koichi off in the distance like getting prepped uh you know they he points over to soga and he's like hey look like things are blowing up it's time to go so they're at the warehouse everything's getting put together they jump on a motorcycle and in like a v-dub and they're taking off they're on the move yeah they uh they know exactly where to go and it's, it's hard to miss where she is and she's already engaged with a bunch of these pro heroes question mark uh, these guys who yeah. are at least licensed um but they they we we find out that they were basically placed on teams, but they're they've not coordinated actually with one another. Um, so she seems to be pretty keen or aware of that, and so she's attacking these guys and seems to be uh, maintaining the upper hand throughout. I mean, she's kicking all kinds of butt. And then there's this uh, there's a page where she like is there's this guy that swoops up behind her and he's in the middle of saying, "Now I've got you," and then you look at the next page. It's a full page splash, and it looks 
for all the world to me, like she bombastically farts on the back of this guy's head. <laughs> I mean, it does, but I don't think that's what's going on. <laughs> well, I know that it's not, but it looks like but it, it is. totally does. Yeah. Like, like she if just I totally... didn't know any better, <laughs> if I didn't know that she had bomb bees at her disposal and that that was what was blowing up behind that man's head. If you showed me this panel without any knowledge of what was going on, I'd be like, she has weaponized farts. That's what it looks like. That's a quirk. And then right <laughs> after which further proof of, of my particular crazy flatulent theory is that she goes, ah, right afterwards. And it says, I love it. <laughs> and then she laughs, because that's what I do when I fart. I go, ah, and then I laugh, especially if there are other people in the room, but they don't have to be. Farts are funny. That's great. I love it. She's, <laughs> she's good. You know, I was wondering, like, who was in charge of putting these heroes teams together? Like, they failed miserably. I mean, like, we've seen uh, several team-ups between different heroes, and they were all relatively smart enough to like sit down and discuss tactics and like their quirks and put them in teams that seem to work. It just felt like this was really rushed or something. It I don't looked know. It to me like when they were gathered at the beginning of this chapter or at the end of the last one, whichever it was, that it was a very motley kind of scrambled together group. And yeah. previously, like I think it was during uh, the sports festival where we had heard some discussion about one hero agency setting aside time to practice with and to coordinate with other hero agencies so that when situations like this arise where they could pair together and have chemistry and understanding and, and tactical, um, tactical synchronization, like because they've already had practice coordinating. And I don't think that there was any of that going on. This is a bunch of like street level guys um, that, that were just answering a summons by the police and the police, I guess, doing the best of that they could just pair them off for reasons. And uh, we don't we don't know what those reasons are. Yeah, it was like lottery numbers. They just pulled the shortest stick or something, it seems like. <laughs> but this yeah. we get these last two panels, these last two pages of 78, and they were pretty shocking. Uh, up on top of a building is Sukwauchi, and he is trying to just observe the scene, figure out what's going on, like keep an eye on Pop. And uh, <laughs> behind him is, out of nowhere, Endeavor, who is going to come on scene and just absolutely wreck uh, pop he says uh he's gonna give her a first-hand taste of a real inferno yeah first he insults her music he's like sukauchi what the hell is that and she's like oh or sukauchi's like the the song you mean and he's like inferno <laughs> that's what yeah that's what she calls this garbage and she's got a <laughs> lot of nerve i'll give her a first-hand taste of a real inferno and he's like charging up his fire it looks it's Flames an awesome on. looking panel yeah and it seems like he is a fairly reasonable choice to deal with with uh b-step what do you think I mean, maybe a little overkill to some extent. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, maybe there's... because we know Pop, like we know who Pop Step is, it seems like it's overkill. It's really not. I mean, she's blowing up like half the city. They needed to get somebody on this. But I never expected Endeavor. I don't know why. I just Endeavor versus Pop Step was not something that ever came to my mind when we started reading this series. There's a Marvel villain who's called Swarm, who's just a like physical manifestation of a swarm of bees. Um, and if you don't send snipe after that guy, you know, snipe who can control the trajectory of bullets, that's not, right. that's not very efficient. You send a freaking flamethrower after him. That's what exterminators in real life do to bees nests is they just take well, literal yeah. flamethrowers to them. That's true. That's, and that's how like, you know, swarms in D and D and Pathfinder work too. More often than not, you have to do some sort of like fire AOE damage to them. So you're totally right from that perspective. Like you want to take care of a bunch of bees, just torch the air. You're going to kill them off. 
It's going to be crazy. Like, I can't wait to go read these next few chapters because, you know, I how much do you want to bet Koichi's going to end up having to save Pop from Endeavor? Like, oh. Endeavor won't step down. Yeah. Even if they get the B out of her, Endeavor is going to try and take down Pop. Like, if anything, just to prove it. Yeah, 100%. We're, we're about to see Koichi and Endeavor go at it for, for some reason and in some way, shape, or form. There's no way that they it's don't be come cool. into conflict. Yeah, it's going to be cool. I can't wait. I can't, I can't wait to see this. I did forget to point out something in actually the first chapter that uh, that I adored, and it was kind of in the middle of uh, Knuckle Duster talking about his definition of hero. There's this page where it has a bunch of heroes, most of whom were ranked and or UA teachers. But, uh-huh. but at the bottom of this little pyramid of heroes on this page, the number 222nd ranked hero... <laughs> is he shows up again <laughs> i love people, it feels people very have a lot of respect for him. that they keep bringing him in yeah people have a lot of respect for him for some reason he must have done something really important at some point in time yeah so manuals back in back in vigilantes wash is also there too in the panel above that but i care way less about wash than i do about manual who's extremely low ranked like almost off of the charts on the low end of things and yet he still is held up as a, as an exemplary hero in all of these pages and splashes where the big heroes are doing their thing. Because, I mean, he's sharing the page with All Might and Endeavor, plus all these other guys. <laughs> it's so great. He's like, he's like I ride a bike. That's <laughs> you right. Know? I, mean, <laughs> I love him. Well, maybe it's consistency. Consistency is key. That's what it is. He's he's always the one most willing to try or something. Yeah. Isn't he, I mean, he's, he's ranked higher than uh, the Pussycat Dolls, though. Uh, maybe now because I think they took they did take a pretty big uh, dip after uh, after uh, which one was it that got basically depowered by offer one it's definitely ragdoll for sure okay well for any any other thoughts on uh, these four chapters before we get into the kind of closing segment here Adam no I don't think so I'm excited to see what happens Uh, Endeavor was not someone I expected but I'm looking forward to it yeah, it's going to be a, an awesome fight. And it's, it feels like it's been a while since we had a really big fight. I don't know. Captain Celebrity didn't feel that long ago. That was a pretty big fight. Yeah. Well, it was certainly more than three chapters ago. Um, that's true. Which is, seems to be your measuring <laughs> stick for that's, a long that's ago. That's my metric. Yeah, that's yeah. my metric. So I, I, I'll shut up now. <laughs> <laughs> so to, to close today, I just wanted to read you um, Kazuo's horoscope. This is, she's a Gemini, according to her birth date. And that's Pop Step, just for it everyone is. that doesn't remember her name like me. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> it's Pop Step or B Step, uh, B Pop, whatever. Um, so this is this is. I want to read you a couple portions of her. This is from Astrology.com, which I don't know. Maybe they're the expert on horoscopes. Sounds like it. Um, <laughs> I really don't know. I don't pay attention to horoscopes, but it says this: with the moon hovering over your exotic ninth house of uh, house of adventure, wisdom, and unknown territory, you're likely looking for a little thrill or something to take with you on your soul journey even if it isn't necessarily tangible. Single or taken, today's moon conjunct Saturn could be the reason you're suddenly preoccupied with matters revolving around your long-term goals or a skill you're interested in developing down the road. And despite whether you're currently interested in someone or already committed, this could potentially get in the way of your union. This is especially true with Venus's square to the north node in your sign today. So ignoring all that weird, like, planet talk, um, it did talk around her goals, and uh, possible impediments to her goals, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. It even just touches a little bit on like uh, her relationship with Koichi there too, near the end, it sounded like. That part gets better. So uh, there's a daily oh. dating section of her horoscope that reads like this. 
You can't sit still, and why would you want to? Life is too much fun to be wasted on sedentary activities right now, except those that can be finished up quickly. You're having the time of your life. And when heading upward, don't forget to look back and see what you've left behind. Oh, wow. That is a... That's pretty spot on. It's interestingly... Well, you know, horoscopes, I think, are written to be so general that they apply very generally. To like anything. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, But when I read today's, I was like, wow, okay, there's some easy connections to make, at least, between what we're we're seeing going on in uh, Pop Step's life and the the exact phrasing of uh, these horoscopes from astrology.com. Well, these have been four awesome chapters, man. I'm looking forward to getting off here and going and reading the next four so that way we can talk about them next week Uh, i'm digging being back to back like this it has been fun and uh, i too am excited to kind of pick up and see what endeavor does what koichi does because of what endeavor does where how pop is salvaged uh from that that mix of conflict and also from the queen bee quirk because i still think that that's probably going to be a thing that happens either that or Maybe she masters it and it becomes a more, I don't know. I really don't know. Um, I would assume that it's going to be removed. Whose quirk do you think the queen bee's quirk is? I mean, Soga mentioned it being a parasite, but I wonder if it's someone's parasite, you know? Like, I mean, clearly it's sixes, I guess. I hope we find out. Yeah, I I assume we will. Maybe it'll be one of those things uh, where it was back in our old anime watching days, which we're about to return to where we ask a question and it's literally answered the first thing the next episode. <laughs> so beginning of chapter 79, it's just going to have all the answers to every question that we've ever had about the Queen Bee Quirk. I mean, I don't think that that's true, but it certainly has happened a lot to us. So I've, I feel like we're in a place of learned helplessness when it comes to our own idiocy. <laughs> that is the perfect way to put it. And on that note, I think we call it for the week, man. Sounds good. We'll see you guys next week. Literally. Almighty Podcast is brought to you by the Back Patio Network. You can follow us on Twitter at Almighty Pod or follow at Back Patio Net for all network news. If you enjoyed what you heard, go check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash network. You can help support the network, get access to early episodes, and lots of other great stuff. If you want to get to know us, come hang out in our Discord channel. We have lots of fun and would love to have you in there. My name is Adam, and you can follow me on Twitter at TheRealSimso, S-I-M-S-O. 